Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Thursday, November 16th. Derek and Riper, Eno Saris, Britt Giroli. Happy birthday, Britt. Special day for you. Thanks, guys. Nowhere I'd rather spend it than talking baseball with the two of you. <laughs> I am amazed that you're here. Writers are good liars. Oh, gosh. You know what? I took, I, uh, took my infant, I guess toddler now maybe, son to the pediatrician. And I said to my husband, because, you know, he got shots. So I was like, you know, shots on your birthday aren't what they used to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> used to be at the bar throwing them back. Now my kid's crying as we leave the pediatrician. Life comes at you fast. <laughs> and then you've got like the coin flip possibility that something about those will make him upset tonight, wake him up, and that'll wake you up and you'll feel terrible in the middle of the night because of that. So, yes. yeah. Yes. Yay. Different iteration of Parenthood. shots, but similar result, surprisingly. Yeah. It's the best. I know. You know, I don't love the idea of getting older, but it beats the alternative. So I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> First, I thought, you don't want to get younger? It's like, oh, no, you don't want to be dead. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's award season. I figured we'd talk a lot about some of the awards that have been given out by the BBWAA. The Cy Young Award winners have been announced. We've got Rookie of the Year. We've got Eno's favorite, Manager of the Year, has been handed out. So we'll dig into <laughs> dartboard of the year, the dartboard throw of the year. Pretty oh. much. Gosh, and the best part about manager is that people get all upset because they get announced after the World Series. I saw people that are like, yeah, how is it not? Bochy didn't win. Yeah, how is it not, not Bochy? Right, like, how is it not Toro Lavolta? <laughs> and you're like, okay, nobody in their right mind would have put that man down when the regular season ended. Like, the yeah. Diamondbacks. Nobody would have done it. Like, there's a reason these awards close. I feel like it's important to keep reminding people at the end of the regular season because it's not fair to the team's that aren't in the playoffs. Like imagine if we didn't give Shohei Otani awards ever because the angels are terrible. You just can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) We have some stuff on that too. What did the angels do this week? That was bad. Well, you know, something that seems small that might actually end up coming back to bite them in the long run. But we'll save that for a bit later on. Let's start with Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole won his first Cy Young award. He's been in the top five several times, like six times, including this win. So it feels like he's won the Cy Young Award before, but in fact, he has not. He has lost to teammates. Uh, he's, he's even been, in last year's voting, I looked and saw that he was behind Nestor Cortez, probably because of ERA. Garrett Cole had a bit of a home run problem last year, but I was telling Eno before the show, the way my brain works, I can't look at those two guys and like rank Nestor Cortez ahead of Garrett Cole. I just can't do it. My brain does not work that way, but... Garrett Cole gets his first sigh in what really was a lost season for the Yankees. But Britt, I'll start this one with you. Did the voters get it right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think so, you know, with all, with both of the awards, really. And it was a little bit tougher, uh, a little bit more of a case, I guess, on the NL side. But 
like Garrett Cole, Tyler Kipner wrote a great story the other day that now he's out of that club of like the best that never have won a Cy Young. That's kind of where he was, right? Honestly, I think if you had told people that didn't pay close attention to the sport that Garrett Cole hadn't won, they'd be like, really? Are you sure? Right? It kind of felt like one of those where you're like, no, not in Houston ever, right? Like he had so many good years and he was one of the really maybe the only bright spot for the Yankees this season. You know, when he pitched, you wanted to watch. And so I think they definitely got it right. This is something where, you know, Garrett Cole, at the end of the day, guys, may be a bargain with that contract, which is so interesting because so many times I feel like people sign these mammoth deals and it's immediately kind of looked at as an overpay. Max Scherzer, when he signed that deal with the Washington Nationals comes to mind as something that was crushed and then ended up being a bargain, a very team-friendly deal. Garrett Cole, at the end of the day, at the end of this contract, if he's still pitching at anywhere close to this kind of a level, that may be in that same category as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Cole uh, I think Cole actually got jobbed uh, the worst in 2019. And it was kind of tough because teammate Justin Verlander had one more win, I guess, had 10 more innings. I don't, looking at just some surface level stats here, I don't see why Verlander won over Cole. Uh, Cole had a lower ERA, 26 more strikeouts. Uh, you know, I think across the board, Cole had the better season. Um, so, you know, it's okay though. Uh, you know, things have been righted. Uh, there was a little bit of home run luck maybe this year or just the, uh, regression, or I don't know what it was. You can look at certain things that Cole did this year. He threw his curveball more. He threw his cutter more. He seemed to kind of go for soft contact a little bit more. His strikeout rate went down. His home run rate went down. Um, I don't know. I think it was all in all good decisions that he made. I talked to him in spring about the cutter. He threw like maybe 20 more this year. <laughs> it's not not like a ton more. Uh, but uh, he kept those home run. He kept the ball in the park and had a great season. I, I have no quibble with this at all. I... I I had a vote, <laughs> so I, I I put Cole in first. The hardest for me actually was down ballot. I put Gossman second, yeah. uh, Sonny Gray third, uh, Paolo Lopez fourth, and Kyle Bradish fifth. Uh, other people didn't have Paolo Lopez in their top five. Uh, most people had Gray second, uh, but Gossman had so many more strikeouts than anybody that I. Uh, I thought I would reward him for uh, an out that uh, he did mostly by himself. I mean, yes, the catcher's involved and the umpire's involved, but uh, strikeouts are, are mostly a pitcher-only stat. And so I, I rewarded Gossman for a great season, put him second. Do you like having, you know, the longer uh, list of, of pitchers to submit for this? Or would you rather just choose a winner? It looks like you might be split on this. I see Britt shaking her head. It's, yeah, no, I don't. Uh, you know, I don't know how you feel. I have MVP this year, which hasn't gone yet. Ten spots. Ten. It is. People say like, is it stressful? The top five are usually fine. the The bottom five are incredibly stressful. <laughs> What's the difference between the eighth best and the ninth best? Right, player? and like invariably, the eleventh and twelfth guy, you can make the case for those guys who didn't get on there, right? And guys, you left, Bobby Bluff. And guys have, <laughs> and what bothers me is guys get like contract bonuses often for just being mentioned there. So like there are real ramifications. You're not just like, oh, let me just fill out these bottom spots. And it's like, yeah. well, once you get that far down, the cases can't can a pitcher be in that in that category? Lots of times you can make that case. How do you compare a starting pitcher to an outfielder? 
right? So don't get me started on the MVP. It should just be the top five. I feel okay about the rest of them and the length, but the MVP is incredibly stressful. Yeah, 10, 10 is a lot. I think five is, you know, I, I don't really know what the value is of the fifth spot in the Cy Young, but I mean, I think Justin Steele got a million bucks uh, on top of from the arbitration pool for finishing in the rookie of the year, but not, you know, not winning it. But it was a rookie of the year. No, for in the Cy Young, for getting fifth in the Cy Young, he got a million bucks. Oh. So uh, I, I guess, I mean, that's good for him. But like, what if I had the NL Cy Young vote? And I was like, man, if I leave Steele off, I might cost him a million bucks. That sucks. So I don't, I don't, I, I hate that part of it. And even five is like, you know, did I reward Kyle Bradish because, you know, I was out in front, you know, and I had a bias because I said that Kyle Bradish could have this kind of season and I wanted to reward myself. I don't know. Uh, I thought he had a great season. My process, if anybody's interested, was just to use um, all of the wars. So uh, there's wins above replacement, there's fan graphs, baseball reference, baseball prospectus. And I threw in uh, a, a war, RA9 war, which is just basically results with no adjustment for defense, just what happened on the field. And I just do that to kind of, because there's so many different approaches to war to kind of average it out. And that gives me the beginning of my, uh, my rankings. And when I did that, Cole was easily number one because he's number one uh, at fan graphs. Uh, he's like uh, tied for two at an RA9. He was uh, number one easily at baseball, uh, baseball reference. And weirdly, he was like fourth at baseball perspectives, but, you know, average that all out and he's first and it's easy, easy to go from there. Yeah. So I was just thinking if you look to the back end of that list or maybe to the just missed options, since you're talking about five on the ballot for Cy Young, you might find someone you'd predict to be a winner in a future year, right? I mean, the, the guy I was wondering about was George Kirby. Did George Kirby make your top five? Because if you said a DVR. Give us a name of someone you think could actually sneak in and win a Cy Young next season. George Kirby actually pops for me as someone in the AL that was already getting buzz at the conference that Eno and I just went to as a, a guy that's showing a lot of interesting skills, has phenomenal control. I think he can do all the things that old and new school voters like. Because he's efficient, he'll pitch deep into games. Because he pitches deep into games, he'll get lots of wins. ERA should be tidy. Whip should be good. Strikeout count should be good team should be you know somewhere around that 54 percent win percentage that they're always targeting in seattle but all in all i think george kirby my pick for that sort of like not necessarily sleeper but just someone i could see making a move up in the ballot for 2024 yeah what what conference was this i'm so curious it was a fantasy baseball conference it was first pitch arizona at the arizona fall league so we got to see some some we got to we interviewed Kyle Manzardo on our uh the the first baseman prospect that was traded for Aaron Savali uh who's uh, over in in Cleveland now on our on our podcast we had a good time uh over at Rates and Barrels there and uh but uh I, you know in terms of Kirby one thing I uh, that I like is that in the second half um you know he tweaked some of his pitches and his strikeout rate went from you know 20.8% in the first half to 25.2 in the second half so I just see th that's where the growth, that's what I want from Kirby is, is he already never walks guys. So I just want him to kind of, in fact, I would like him to kind of dance around the zone a little bit more and maybe be in the zone a little bit less, kind of push that out. 
um, because that could reduce his home run rate some, and it could uh, increase his strikeout rate more to be just off the zone than just inside the zone. Um, and so uh, I think we see some of that coming. I, yeah, Kirby is like a savant. Like he told me one one time, I was talking to him. Oh, I want to throw Justin Verlander's slider, and I want and I want to throw it 89 miles an hour. And I was like, Well, you're throw like you you are throwing it, but it's like 85 now. And he's like, It'll be 89 in a couple of weeks, and it was. <laughs> and I was like, Okay, have a plan. You can just decide to do something and do it. Well, how amazing would that be? Like, I, I thought I was going to move my router from the first floor to the second floor this morning, and I didn't even, it didn't work. I had to put it back down on the first floor. George Kirby's out here perfectly mimicking some of the best pitches in baseball, and I can't even move simple hardware from one floor to the next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Blake Snell on the NL side comes away with the Cy Young. Now, his second career Cy Young win, he won his other one with the Rays back in 2018. So I think he's one of seven pitchers to win the Cy Young in each of the two leagues. So pretty fun trivia fact there. This one was more complicated for sure. I actually thought Zach Wheeler, if I had a vote, would have been number one on my ballot. But that's because I tend to err on the side of like Fangraph's war when a lot of other factors are equal. There were plenty of ways to chop this one up. So uh, we'll go in reverse order this time. I mean, you know, how did you see this one going down? I, you know, even with my process of sort of averaging out the wars, you know, Snell had such a lead in what happened in terms of results on the field, in terms of ERA, in terms of, you know, those types of results that uh, I thought, you know, it was an okay, it was a, it was a good choice. But um, you know, when you look at Wheeler and Strider uh, as an example, uh, you get into a lot of interesting discussions about, you know, the value of defense. And for me, every ball in play is a team out. And so when you look at something like defensive runs saved uh, this year, uh, Atlanta was 15th, uh, Philly was 27th. Uh, if you look at the Fangraphs defensive numbers, uh, Atlanta was 24th and Philly was 27th. Uh, if you look at the baseball uh, 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 savant numbers, outs above average, Atlanta was 22nd and Philly was 18th. So, you know, that's relevant to me because you're trying to figure out what the pitcher did, you know? And so you have to kind of take him out of that context and so any ball in play is a team out where now the team is part of making that into an out and we know that the defense behind uh you know wheeler and strider were subpar they were subpar and uh san diego ranked fourth in, in outs above average and third or fourth in in drs so like you know, that's all part of it is, is how the team functions. Now, when you have a 217 slugging allowed for four months, like Blake Snell did to finish the season, uh, when you allow like four hits per nine, like Blake Snell did, 
it becomes so out there that you can't all right fine you got it if it had been closer like if he had like a three two era and strider had like a three four and wheeler had like a three three that would have been impossible that would have been so hard to figure out and even as it was uh i think strider should have finished a little bit higher in the in the voting i i I have trouble with this one guys because you mentioned snell's great stats you know but if we're pulling pitchers in the fifth inning, how many pitchers would have better stats? Mm-hmm. Right? My, my concern with, with Blake Snell and, and the way that the voting is now trending is that we don't care that he had led the league in walks. We don't care that he's a five and five guy. They didn't pitch them in the innings, right? What we care about is, oh, look at this war. And look what he held these opposing hitters. Like, if I'd rather, would you guys rather have a guy for dominant for five innings? And then you have to use your bullpen every time for those next four? Or would you rather have a guy who gives you a quality start and goes into the seventh and eighth inning? Logan, like, Logan I, I Webb think, should get more love. Right, like thinking. Logan Webb got, was an easy second place for a lot of people. Um, and I just, this is the way things are trending now, though, right? You don't, oh, this guy's so nasty. Well, he only pitches five innings. So he never goes through the order a third time. So his stats are really great. But I'd rather have the guy on my team, I'm a GM, that's going into the seventh inning and eighth inning and doesn't care that his stats are going to be a little bit less, right? He is still like, and this is why I think Aaron Nola is going to be so valued on the free agent market is, and I think someone is going to overpay for Blake Snell because of of this. And this is, again, my opinion. Um, I think Blake Snell was terrific to watch this year. I'm not taking anything away from him. I'm more concerned with the trend of where we're going now. Are we going to get to a place where it's like, Wow, this guy went 100 innings, but he was great for those 100 innings. So he's our Cy Young Award winner. What? Right? Doesn't this going to happen in the Hall of Fame, too? We used to right. care about 3,000 strikeouts and 300 wins, and nobody's going to ever get there again, maybe. Well, so. well, but if you look, the league is very quietly trying to get back there because I think is it next year or 2025, they're going to start to limit the number of pitchers on a roster. So they're going to try to reemphasize. I mean, they're, they're definitely. They've been talking about a lot of things. I think they've been also internally considering uh, Jason Stark's rule, where you tie the DH to the starting pitcher. Yeah. So because you know you lose the DH as minute the minute you take the starting pitcher out. That that'll make some teams uh, go longer into it. Like not to be all like old man on my lawn, though I am old now, as we discussed <laughs> in the intro. Uh, like, don't we have to get back to a place? where the sport has these dominant starting pitchers. And again, you know, I think Scott Boris, when he talked in Arizona, made this big case about Blake Snell versus Randy Johnson and how Blake Snell in his career has better stats than Randy Johnson did and how Blake Snell has 300 fewer innings or something like that. And it's like, why are we, why are we spotlighting that Randy Johnson threw way more than him? Because the way we think about starting pitchers is, has just shifted so drastically that instead of saying, wait a second, Randy Johnson was throwing into the eighth inning or throwing complete games. I want that guy. We're like, oh no, look at all, look at all the mileage this guy has on his arm. He's not going to hold up, right? Just mm-hmm. the, the way that we're selling these pitchers is different. And so to yeah. me, the NL Cy Young, who'd you, who'd you rather have on your team, Spencer Strider or Blake Snell? You can make the case for Spencer Strider, especially over the next couple of years. Or, or Logan Webb, I mean. Right. I mean, just, he led the league in innings, 216 innings, you know? So the, the ripple effect there was there's no stat for did they win the next day because Logan Webb saved their bullpen? 
right? There's no way for us to quantify that. We don't know what the return well, I mean, there, on investment is. It's interesting is. you bring that up. There are a couple of pieces of new studies. There's one that I, I've, I've mentioned a couple of times. Every pitch your reliever throws over the course of the season makes them worse as they go further into the season. So that's the saving your bullpen. There's actual research that suggests that's true. It was on, on, uh, by Pizza Cutter, Russell Carlton on Baseball Perspectives. There's another uh, study that just came out on Sabre, um, the Society of American Baseball Research, SABR. Sabre has a piece out that says, in a seven-game series, this is a playoff thing, but in a seven-game series, if you show your relievers more, they get worse. Like the, the, the relievers get worse over the course of a series as the players see them. So yeah. you can extrapolate from that that like if you are taking Blake Snell out a lot, uh, you're showing relievers to even in a three game series where they're going to be more likely. Oh, we saw this guy yesterday. You know, I got it. I know his shapes. I know what his, his stuff is like. But also then on top of it, if you just think from a team construction perspective, since Blake Snell is a free agent, you just think about how likely is it, given especially what we just saw in the in the playoffs just now, how likely is it that I have a really good fourth and fifth reliever next year? Yeah. How likely is it that the guy that comes in in the sixth inning for me is really good? Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. DBR, you're the GM. You're a GM this winter. Do you want Aaron Nola or do you want Blake Snell? I've believed for a long time that Nola will age better than Blake Snell. So if you're going equal years and similar money on those two guys, I trust Nola in the long run more. I think the wear and tear of throwing extra pitches when you walk a lot of guys can be really problematic. Now, the trap I have fallen into with present Blake Snell, past Robbie Ray, uh, other guys that miss a lot of bats but also strike a lot of guys out is looking at their ability to suppress hits, which is not entirely on their shoulders. Eno was pointing out before, some of that is your defense. Some of that might be the type of contact that you allow. Blake Snell seems to be better than average, maybe a lot better than average at reducing damage, right? Some of that could be the home park in San Diego, which being a free agent. Not giving in. Not like giving in. Related to the walks. It's not related giving to in. The walks. He does not Correct. throw in the middle of the zone. Right. But they're he still just... getting on base. So do the singles matter if you're walking more than anybody else in the league? Well, they're not. It, it's also singles and doubles. Right. right. It's not a double, not a triple. It's not a home run. It, it's, it's just like, you know, you think back to 20 plus years ago or the scene in, in Moneyball. Do I care if it's a walk or a hit? It's like, well, flip it. Like on the pitching side, you'd rather give up a, a walk than an unknown hit because the unknown hit could be worse than one base. There's a very good chance that it's a, a double sure. or something worse. So I think it's easy to obsess over a player's flaw. I do this all the time, mm. whether it's a hitter who strikes out too much, but oh, well, he, he strikes out 30% of the time and only walks 5% of the time. Well, what else did he do? Oh, he hit 30 home runs and stole 25 bases and played good defense. Oh, you mean Adolis Garcia? Shoot, I was wrong. <laughs> I fixated on the two things he couldn't do instead of the yeah. eight things that he could do. I think a little bit of that happens with guys like Snell. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll come down to like the number a lot. I mean, if it's two hundred million for uh, Aaron Nola and one twenty five for Snell, you think it's going to be that different? Scott Boris is like Snell's agent. I don't think so. Well, I just say the one twenty five was Gossman and and Ray, right? And they were coming off. They had like more checkered past. They weren't coming yeah. off Cy Young seasons, I don't think. So yes. they, you know, Snell is like a a goosed up Gossman and Ray. So he's going to get better than one twenty five at least. Exactly. And this, I think every market is specific to this, the, where we are as an industry. And there are more teams looking for pitching than there are pitchers. So we are going to see some mm. wild overpays. People are already predicting it. So somebody is going yeah, to I think the Yamamoto overpay. one is going to be a big overpay. 
Like, we don't know how it's going to translate. If you pay five and 75 for Kodai Senga, I am thumbs up. I love yeah. that deal. I ranked him pretty well going into the season. I thought it was a great deal. It ended up being a good deal. If you pay like six and 200 for your, your like for Yamamoto, like that's a whole nother ball game. Like you could have yeah. had Aaron Nolo who like had, you know, uh, like established results in yes. baseball and people are like, Oh, there's a four, six ERA for Aaron. Nolo. I'm like, well, the year before wasn't a four, six ERA. And then on top of that, I just did a whole spiel about how bad the defense and how tough that park is, you know, yeah. like yeah. there, Aaron Nolo has skills and we saw some of that in the postseason, and we've seen it over the last few years. So I, I don't, and I'm not fixated on the four, six ERA at all. I have one more Aaron Nola question. It's a stuff-specific question because when I look at Eno's pitching model, you know, I see better stuff numbers on, on Blake Snell. Of course, it's a 95 location plus in a year in which he won the Cy Young. Nola had a 104 location plus, 101 stuff number, you know, and a 106 pitching plus overall. Very good numbers. In my mind, the longer you have to pitch those guys, Nola ages better. But... If pitchers break and you never know when they're going to break, don't you just want the better guy? Now, I'm arguing against myself, but this is why this is going to go around and round and round. I don't think it's like different paths to the same sort of endpoint. They're both capable of this sort of ceiling. We've just seen pretty wide ranges of outcomes with both. And, and Nola in particular, I think a lot of it's had to do with the park and the defense. He's been there his entire career in Philly. The defense, the defense is better. has been horrible his whole time. It's been slightly improved compared to where it was, but it's still not good. But at one point, it was like one of the worst defenses of all time. <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> For me, if Snell can just reduce those walks and get another inning out of him, great goal. You're in, right? But he's he doesn't now, really, hasn't shown that. He ha Exactly. Ability, really. He's been that five-inning guy. So what does that look like as he ages? I think that the way front offices are trending is innings are innings. And so they'll be like, we're buying 150 really great innings and we'll figure out the other 50, you know, and especially if I get a $50 million discount off of NOLA, then, then I'll take it. So this is, these are the kind of conversations definitely people are having in front offices as they try to rank, you know, who are we really going after? We were going after NOLA, Snell or Yamamoto. And, uh, and then I think also one thing that's interesting is just how the market sets. So like, you know, Otani is this weird situation where it's going to be so much money that if you're the team that signs Otani, you need to figure that out. Like, how can you sign Yamamoto to a $200 million deal and then, and then sign Otani to a $500 million deal? You know, like, I feel like that'll be a difficult thing. So people have been talking like why haven't we had as many signings like maybe it's because we have one of the most the biggest free agents ever maybe the biggest free agent ever out there and everybody needs to know if they've got a chance with him or not before they can move on to the other stuff you know yeah. so like maybe we he need to wait early, for otani to sign yeah I I, mean, that's why lot. i think he will in a way because every team is gonna be like no come on you got to tell us you got to tell us if we're in or not you got to you got to sign this thing or not because this is $500 million in, in my pocket. It's burned a hole in my pocket. It also fits the bill. The first time he came over here, he didn't want to drag it out at all. He's mm -hmm. really, he didn't want to drag out arbitration that year with the Angels, so he just agreed to their deal. There's a lot of people mm -hmm. who think he signs at the winter meetings, if not earlier. So he's just not someone who I think wants the pomp and circumstance that comes with being Otani. He just wants his team no, to win. No, he wants to get down to business. He wants to like yeah, sign with the team so he can with. get with their pitching coaches and their hitting coaches and like, you know, get in their complex. Like, 
There's a picture of him at a Publix uh, buying a, a a sub and a and a bottle of champagne. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. He's just a man of the people. His agent didn't even stay at the regular hotel at the GM meetings because he didn't want to be bombarded by the media, whereas some agents hold court and love it. So it's just a different uh, scenario, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Some agents. Is it just one agent? Or there is there more than one that does the <laughs> Boris just thing now? But the rest of them still stay there. They don't go to those lengths. And also I heard that they are going to Otani's going to be mad if stuff leaks out and it hold it against those teams. So mm. you're gonna hear very this is another reason why I think it's gonna happen really soon. Is the circle's gonna be tight. Teams and the teams are going to be like, ooh, he might hold it against us. Let's get this done. You know, yes. everyone shut up and like, let's, let's right. sign this Like thing. he's not yeah. going to be happy if people are tweeting about meetings with the Dodgers, let's say, or the Cubs or whatever. Like he wants things to be, again, he doesn't like, it's so interesting, right? He doesn't like any of that pomp and circumstance that comes with being Shohei Otani. So why it's so good hard news to for write us. about him. But it's it, it's hard to write about him. It's hard it to is. get him for a piece. He, he doesn't really care about it. You know, I've no. been trying to like back channel be like i'm a nerd i know you're a nerd <laughs> no yeah which is good though because we're not dealing with a bryce harper manny machado year where they sign in march and kind of really remember that winter like kind of impact everything uh i don't think we're going to see that at all with otani since he came up and since the uh conjecture here is that he will be signing relatively soon where is shohei otani going to land you first brit the Dodgers. I know Dodgers. people are like, oh, the Cubs and this team and that team. And yeah, I think other teams are going to be interested. I think the Dodgers have been holding their breath and waiting and saving money and not really being big players in the free agent market for years, knowing Shohei Otani was coming down the pipe. Right. So, well, to me, for it one makes year, the most sense. Yeah. yeah <laughs> they signed year. Freeman, but. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, but, no, but I think Chalk, I think you're right. They that's still chalk. are chalk well below. Dodgers. Yeah, they're still well below what they can sign. Right. So I think they've been looking and waiting for this guy and they're going to go against the grain of what they've done under the history of Andrew Friedman. They haven't really signed guys to these mega deals. They've done tiny deals, you know, front loaded, paying them a lot of money, but then they're off the books. This is obviously going to be their unicorn because Otani is a unicorn. So I see him going to the Dodgers. I know a lot of people are talking about the Cubs being back in it. And listen, no one's happier than me. The Cubs are one of those teams that I think should be going for it and be interesting every year. Um, I just think he's a guy who is already proven to like the West Coast. He lives in that area in the offseason. Comfort seems key with him. I think the Dodgers have the edge here. And the other thing that's key for him, uh, just knowing how much of a, a nerd he is, is um, showing uh, top flight facilities, top flight data, top flight tech, top flight coaching, uh, You know, just a seamless integration of analytics and coaching and, and on-field work. And that describes to me the Dodgers, you know, the Astros to some extent. Um, I don't know that they have the coffers. That there's not yeah. a match there. Um, the Yankees, you know, some of this like Cashman stuff about the analytics. When you think about it, with in the in, with like Otani, like Cashman's walking a a real fine line here, where you know he's like yelling, you know, oh, we're not the most analytics based team, but but screw you if you say that our analytics guys are bad right like he tried to walk a line where he was like we're not that analytic -y, but don't say our analytics guys are bad i'm gonna i'm gonna say a bad word if you say that so like you know i wonder and, and then you see his his giancarlo stanton comments where he throws giancarlo stanton under the bus 
Um, and then the wolf comes out and says, oh, do you want Yamamoto? Uh, because I'm going to tell Yamamoto about the Stanton comment, and I don't think he's going to love that idea. He's not going to love signing with you. So, you know, Cashman's rants in the focus of like, oh, does he want Otani? Does he want Yamamoto? Then he shouldn't have said the things he said. So uh, I don't know what if there's like 3D chess going on or if he just emoted and was like, I'm tired of this crap. Uh, but it's not going to read well when it comes to Yamamoto or Tani. So, you know, if that's true, do the Cubs have the, do the Cubs come first to mind when it comes to player development and tech and data? They've definitely done some good things. They lost Craig Breslow, you know, to the, the, the Red Sox because of, of what they've been able to do on pitching. So maybe there's some stuff there, but I don't think that they're, you know, first in class when it comes to this stuff. So that's, I think that's some of the, that's why he won't maybe go to the Cubs or the Yankees or the Astros. And that leaves the Dodgers really. I am just in the please for my well-being. Do not let Shohei Otani sign with the Cubs. If the universe allows that to happen. (laughs) Is this as a Brewers fan? I am understanding that as my role on this podcast has grown, my fanhood is really supposed to shrink. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so, yes. It's more yes. for the sanity of the people I care about. Because if they're <laughs> unhappy, that makes yeah. my life worse. So, I really, they're already <laughs> upset enough about counsel. And I'm like, it's fine. It doesn't matter. It actually doesn't matter. It really does not matter. We'll get to that in a minute. I've got some thoughts. I know it's been discussed on the show, but the, the ban has been lifted. It's a new year, it's a new league year. For our purposes, after the World Series, it resets, and I get 10 hours to talk about the Brewers in the podcast until I burn them. So I'm going to burn some of them today, I promise. But you mentioned Cashman. I think he finally cracked. I think he finally, after years yeah, and years kind of, my read. <laughs> of just being hammered repeatedly by the media in New York, he's finally like Eno, freezing, going to work in New York. F this, like just like screaming on the sidewalk. (laughs) Part of what's made you stay in this role is that you didn't do that. You've been really chill in a place where it's hard to be really chill. That's kind of of like a prerequisite to do that job with the Yankees. For, For me, the comments about Stanton seemed out of character. I thought it was really surprising he said that. There's a lot of potential downside that Eno pointed out. So I think this is one of those moments where if the Yankees don't get back to being the Yankees like real fast in 2024, maybe next winter we're talking about a new GM for the Yankees. Maybe that's finally where we're at. It just kind of seems like things have boiled over where there could be some change. This Brit's saying no, it's not going to happen. It's like the third Steinbrenner son, so no. Next. <laughs> you have a better chance of him moving to like a president role or like an advisor role than them saying, see you later, Brian Cashman. What, what would it take if they haven't already done it? Not happening. Well, I mean, this is the first time they missed the playoffs, so this would this is like a like a, the first straw. I don't know if this is like the straw that broke the camel's back. I think missing no. the playoffs again, like two years back in a row, back misses. I think might be enough for them to make a change. Did you guys listen to Hal Steinbrenner? You did. What did he say? Go listen to what Hal Steinbrenner said when he said they were going to make big changes, and then what he actually said to the media, which was there are no changes. <laughs> Hal Steinbrenner is not George Steinbrenner. If it was George Steinbrenner, Brian Cashman would have lost his job in 2010 when they didn't repeat as World Series champions. 
<laughs> yeah, there's a so lot of irrational actors here still. Like, on a, there's a scale. Yeah, but Hal Steinbrenner is not one of them. I think that we are forgetting that not all these owners have this. Like, they're not all Peter Seidler, right? The late Peter Seidler. Uh, obviously, rest in peace. Just terrible news. But we can all agree that he was someone who wanted to win more than he wanted to make money. And I don't think that is the case for most owners. And the Yankees are still making money. The brand is still strong. I don't think Brian Cashman is in jeopardy at all. I don't think there's going to be any big changes just from talking to people in the industry. And, you know, it's just not going to happen. I mean, maybe if they miss the playoffs and finish the last five years in a row, maybe. But these aren't the the past, right? We are, I mean, look at what the Red Sox let happen for years before they'd made a change in the front office. And they are an ownership group that is not nearly as loyal. They're more of a pull the trigger every three years kind of ownership group. So maybe that wasn't the best analogy, but. There's, yeah. I mean, I, I could have let Heim keep his job for another year uh, just because I think there's a lot of young players that are just about to, you know, make an impact. But the, the relationship between the owner and the GM is one of the hardest things to figure out from the outside. You'll get, even if as you get closer to it, you'll get, you'll get people that, it's almost like a, a a third rail. They don't really want to talk about it. You know, it's, uh, and even if you get some snippets here, oh, oh, I would never work for Artie Moreno. It's like something that a, a GM candidate once told me. Like, even when you get that, you know, there are yeah, other people be like, well, Artie Moreno spends a lot on his team. So, you know, I would like that as a GM. And uh, so, yeah, is Steve Cohen a bad owner or a good owner? I think that's to be determined. And so I liked I liked that Seidler, uh, uh, you know, I, one thing that I, I thought that Peter Seidler did well, and this is from the outside again, I, I, I've gotten closer and I have some sourcing and so some knowledge of this, but like, you know, I think that he was able to open the pocketbooks up and also give people autonomy and just be like, AJ, you run this thing, right? And mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to tell you how to run this thing. Um, which, you know, uh, now, that, now that he's gone, I mean, he's, he, he, one of the things that he said was he'd like to keep it in the family, but will the next owner have that same relationship with AJ? Uh, will they want to insert themselves more in the discussion? Um, and will they, or will they give AJ the same, you know, uh, the same, uh, what's it called? Le- leash is a bad word, but you know what I mean? Like, same yeah. leeway. Latitude. There we go. That's much nicer. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and I think this is particularly interesting because of all of the things that are coming together right now in San Diego, because you've got, uh, you know, AJ's the longest tenured GM that doesn't have a title. He's gone through a couple, like he's gotten a couple phases now. And then you have on top of that, they've, uh, lost their, um, they lost their TV deal and uh you know they have to figure out how to get that income coming in and there's obviously some uh income uh to revenue disparity that led them to take a a loan out yes lots of teams take loans out uh other teams have taken loans out this year but uh the the from evangelics reporting mlb said no you can't have 100 million that you asked for you can only have 50 million so they're already you know, the Padres are already running up against the Major League Baseball collective bargaining agreement rules for debt servicing. There's already something going on where baseball said, you can't have 100 million. That's too much. You can only have 50 million. And so we know that there's some income situation. And then set against all that is, will he 
sell Juan Soto? Will he trade Juan Soto in order to, you know, have some flexibility to sign some pitchers this year? Um, after he traded so much to get Juan Soto, you know, and he doesn't have in his corner Peter Seidler anymore. So, you know, having an owner in your corner may be one of the most important things that we don't know about. So, you, like, maybe you're maybe you're 100 right. Maybe maybe Cashman is totally totally Teflon still because because he's got Hal in his corner. It's also something that sometimes. Like it's, I think it's hard to tell. Maybe, maybe they could have an argument one day, and then all of a sudden he's out. You know, he's not, he's not blood. <laughs> maybe the third Steinbrenner or something, but he's not blood. Yeah, and it, I think that's a great point, though. Um, you know, I think people were wondering last year um, if AJ Preller was on the hot seat, and I think, as you said, you know, the relationship between it doesn't matter if the fan base thinks AJ Preller should no longer be the GM. The only person that matters is the owner of the team. And which is why that's such a, a weird job and a weird position. Um, but and I think for a long time, obviously, Peter Seidler has shown that he is a loyal person and he had a great relationship with AJ Preller. And so now uh, with somebody else being in control of the team, you wonder about the fallout from something like this. You wonder what it means for the future of baseball operations. This is a team that as we record on Thursday still does not have a manager and they're going to push that search out of respect for the city, um, the community, the organization grieving for Peter Seidler until next week. Well, every other team in baseball has already, you know, had the manager opening and is now working on filling out their staffs. Um, how behind the eight ball will that leave things? Um, you know, it, there is a lot, I think, of ripple effects that come with this unfortunate news. And the Padres, like you said, probably going to have to trade Juan Soto. They're in a really precarious really interesting spot in that organization. And they're coming up such a wildly successful attendance wise season. They've reinvigorated that community. And my family lives out there. They say, you know, every game they go to is sold out, even if it's during the week. I mean, they have Peter said they're changed Padres baseball and how it was perceived. And you wonder if the people that are in charge now will have that, will hold that same standard um, that Peter Seidler did. Yeah. I think that's what made him, unique as an owner and I think the franchise will be very different now that uh, he's passed away uh, Dennis Lynn had a great profile on Peter Seidler at The Athletic by the way I highly recommend you check that out if you want to just know a little bit more about uh, how he lived his life are you struggling to close deals B2B selling is tougher than ever and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator one more great product from LinkedIn you're there to network you're there to look for jobs you're there to post jobs and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. The relationships between owners and GMs and 
even managers and, and bench coaches, I think, are kind of interesting to think about this time of year because we've got a, a manager carousel that's been spinning. Um, manager of the Year awards don't matter. Brandon Hyde won in the AL. Skip Schumacher won in the NL. It doesn't matter. Uh, Craig Council's never won. He's now the highest paid manager in baseball. So, you know, take that for what it's all worth. But I was thinking about this because two candidates that have been mentioned for managerial roles for a long time, one in particular in Houston, I felt like came up for every managerial opening. Joe Espada um, is now the manager for the Astros with Dusty Baker's retirement. And Pat Murphy has taken over for Craig Council. Murphy was the longtime bench coach. And I thought, okay, you've got the relationship with the players already. If you lose a manager that's loved, keeping someone who was right next to that manager is probably a good move for clubhouse harmony purposes. I wonder from like a tactical perspective, analytical perspective, how much could the philosophies of a bench coach and a manager differ? You know, I think that might be more of an open question with Dusty and Joe Espada because they hadn't worked together for as long as Murphy and Council did. And then, you know, you've got other stuff like Ron Washington going to the Angels, which is great that he's managing again. But I feel like if I were advising him, I would have said maybe wait for one more cycle and see if something better comes along. Uh, but as far as that relationship between bench coach and manager, how similar do you think two people have to be to work successfully in those roles together, Britt? I don't think they have to be that similar at all. I think a lot of managers want a bench coach that thinks differently than them because what is the point if you're a manager making a tactical in-game decision, which lots of times isn't just your decision, but there are still some managers who get the final say and who get to manage the in-game as they see fit. Why do you want somebody who's going to just yes you to death? You want someone who sees the other side of things. And that's why you have lots of times different personalities, strikingly different personalities from the bench coach to the manager. And I think Craig Council and Pat Murphy are a great example. Um, Pat Murphy is not like Craig Council at all. They're very different personalities. They're very different people. They're very different relationships with the players. So I think this is um, a good move for the Brewers. I think Pat Murphy deserved to get another chance. He was the interim manager for a little while in San Diego. Uh, well-respected, well-liked guy. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be like same old that it was with Craig Council. They, they are very different people. And Joe Espada and Dusty Baker, uh, not nearly as close as Pat Murphy and Craig Council. And another situation where you're talking about incredibly different people that do things a different way. And you will see the game managed differently. You will see decisions made differently uh, than you did with the previous person. So I don't think a lot of managers, the good ones anyway, want to surround themselves with people um, who think the exact same. They want people who think differently. They want people who push them. And that is what really good front offices want as well. You want that collaborative effort. You want to invite in those new ideas. So lots of times, you know, in my experience being around teams, covering teams on beats, uh, the bench coach is very different than the manager. But it is still a tight relationship. I mean, what you're seeing in San Francisco is that Bob Melvin came to town and brought with him Ryan Christensen, you know, who he brought with him to San Diego right. from, from, the, uh, from the A's. Um, but those were see, his guys, Dusty Baker and Joe Espada. That wasn't his guy. He didn't bring Espada in. They didn't have that kind of a relationship. It's not, so that's not always the case. And you can see that, uh, so that Kai Korea, uh, you know, I think we'll have some news here shortly uh, about where he's going to end up. But, uh, you know, that he, that he decided uh, to kind of move to a new situation instead of uh, taking a rung down and, and, and not being the bench coach because Ryan Christensen is coming to town. So like, you, you do see like some loyalty there, some, some real, some pairings that people kind of come together. 
sometimes where it's it's like a you know these two guys will move you know from to, to to different spots together oh he got his old bench coach back you know it's like a total total thing but yeah I, I, it is interesting to think that you wouldn't want exactly the same guy as you uh in the bench coach role because then you just you know you just have two of you uh you'd want somebody with different strengths so i don't know i don't have an insight into that i did watch some foul territory where they're talking about pat murphy's uh joking around with a, a bagel uh and uh and <laughs> it gave me some insight uh into the kind of person pat murphy is i think uh uh well the story was that pat murphy used to have uh, a bagel in his in his hoodie that he would offer everybody and everybody always said no and then one day somebody took a bite out of the bagel and so then he started keeping the bagel in his sliders <laughs> and so he kept the bagel in his sliding shorts and yeah. you know he would still offer people bites of the bagel but yeah, you get takers then. Nobody was <laughs> no more yet. takers. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he has a very like dry sense of humor from what guys have said. Um, he's a real baseball yeah. guy. He's you know I think that's what makes the game great, right? And like you said, you know every manager has their guys, right? Which is what you saw with Ron Washington. You know he wasn't Bob Melvin wasn't going to go into a new job and not be able to bring his guys. That's how the sport mm-hmm. works. That's what makes the coaching job like such a difficult job because you can be really good at your job. But if the man, your guy is gone, you're done. You don't have a Did job. Did Buck anymore. get all of his you guys go somewhere in else? You got a good chunk Did of them. Buck? Not all okay. of them. You got a good chunk yeah. of them, though. Like, you always get your guys to bring along. And Derek, as for your, like, the Ron Washington comment or the opinion that he should have waited, the guy's 71 He's 71, years old. yeah. That's, that's, that's right. how much longer that's you got to wait. He's going to wait why. for the next cycle. What next cycle? What if, what if there were six jobs open this year, which is unusual? What if there's one next year? Yeah. Two. There's all, I mean, also there's almost always the Angels were unique in that like it never really seemed like they were going to promote from within. But most teams like Espada was going to be the Astros next guy, right? Mm. The Brewers did a little bit of a search, but Pat Murphy took the job, right? So lots of times these jobs are preordained. So it's just a very tough to be like, yeah, we're going to do a search and we're not going to play favorites with our bench coach or this guy that we promised the job to, so he would stay for the next couple of years, right? I think Ron Washington, who has been trying to get another managing job. And it's been what over a decade since he's gotten, since he's gotten one. I don't think there's much more waiting around for Ron Washington at all. Yeah. Wash was I about can't eight years some... older than I remembered when I looked that up. Yeah. He's too old. He's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to sit here and wait till I'm 80. Like he just kind of has to, and this is it, right? This is probably it for Ron Washington. Uh, I can't wait like for some F bombs in a press conference from. Well, I tell you, baseball got that is a that is a hell of a staff too that he's putting together. Just like it's either gonna there's gonna be two things that are gonna happen. It's either gonna succeed immensely and we're gonna be like we need more things like this, or it's gonna be an absolute train wreck disaster and people are gonna be like they're stuck thirty years behind. I don't see any in between. Do you guys? Which in other words is the Angels, right? Like there's it's never the, an in between with the Angels. Yeah. The Angels fired their uh, uh, director of pitching and pitching coordinator. I don't know if I got the, the names exactly right. Dylan Axelrod and Buddy Carlisle. And not even not even a week later, <laughs> the Tampa Bay Rays hired Buddy Carlisle uh, as soon as he was available to be their pitching coordinator. It's just a bizarre set of circumstances where, yes, it's hard to kind of rank player development by teams and yes uh the angels pitching didn't do that well under buddy carlisle uh but to see the rays be like oh he's available you know makes me kind of feel like it's still the uh backwaters and angels pd so yeah they they kind of there's been some long-standing stuff that still 
sitting in that organization since the days of Mike Sosha that I think are still there. Yeah, it sounds like Troy Percival has a significant role in determining who the various coaches are on the pitching side. And, well, he's choosing guys, choosing to let people go that the Rays want. So that's not a good sign. What I've been told also, uh, uh, somebody in the organization kind of uh, reached out to me and was telling me that um, they're obsessed with 2002. And so they're playing highlights. They're playing highlights of 2002 uh, uh, games, just like regular games and postseason games at all the affiliates. I have also heard that they are obsessed with 2002. They have a bunch of the 2002 Angels um, that are now part of like Salmon and Finley. Yeah, that are like now part of this organization. And they tried to get Tory Hunter to come back to be on Ron Washington's staff and, and he declined. So I also heard that. And I think people were worried before they hired Ron Washington that. Artie Marino was just going to be like, let's just hire an O2 angel to manage this team because that is <laughs> yeah. like the last time that they were really good. Um, but I think you have to I remember really that that, that baseball, was 20 years ago. Yes, baseball changed in that. 20 years. Yeah, yeah you can't. <laughs> I, think, like, I think baseball's well, a little different now. Yeah. Like that was a fun team. Don't get me wrong, but like you can't yeah. just run it back and expect that to just fly now. So they're gonna they're gonna find some. <gasps> They're going to sign Lance Lynn to be John Lackey. They both are, they both cuss like, they're both mean, ornery, <laughs> older pitchers. Oh my God. I got it. Incredible. Angels are signing Lance Lynn. <laughs> I will say this though, with Washington, their infield defense is going to, it's going to be a tight ship out there. That's I feel right. like they're going to go through those famous Ron Washington drills If he has time to, to, to do yeah. all those drills. <laughs> yeah, he'll put EY in charge of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... A lot has happened in the last few weeks since the three of us uh, last did this show. And the White Sox lost their TV play-by-play announcer, Jason Benetti, to the Tigers. That was weird. If Craig Council hadn't quietly moved to the Cubs, this would be the most surprising thing of the offseason to me. Because Jason Benetti is the White Sox for the last eight years. It's like watching games on TV, right? I mean, he replaced Hawk Harrelson. Did it his way, paired really well with Steve Stone, who worked with Hawk for a long time, and that was one of the best booths in baseball. As lousy as the team is, and as much of a chronic underperformer that they've they've developed and built, their booth was great. I would choose the White Sox booth over most when I would just flip on a game. And now I'm going to turn to more Tigers games, just because I like listening to Benetti call games. That team's on the rise. Apparently, one of the reports I read said Jerry Reinsdorf didn't think Jason Benetti was funny, which is just outlandish. Jason Benetti is one of the more witty announcers in the game. So not sure what Jerry Reinsdorf is listening to. Maybe, it was, maybe the humor was a little too nerdy. Just right over his well, head. Also, apparently. maybe it was a little too honest because the team was terrible and Jason Benetti was not going to be a homer. Yeah. So, yeah. I, think that's, that I mean, probably... that is the big difference between him and Hawk. I mean, Hawk was a, a tremendous oh, homer. Hawk was an all time great homer for play by play announcers. <laughs> so, there may I never think... be another one as, as great at <laughs> backing the home team as Hawk Harrelson was. <laughs> so, I think that factored in. I think. Um, I think you're right. Why else do you let him go? Do you want to hear my, my, my very brief interpretation of of why craig council actually left aside from money like resetting the market for managers yeah go ahead here's what i believe i believe craig council looked at ownership and the patterns of spending under mark atanasio 
and the way they run through the front office with the you know, Matt Arnold now led front office, which has that Raisian philosophy of keep it cheap, keep things moving, be willing to move players to the deadline, like the Josh Hader trade 2022. Like you think about moves like that. I think council looked at the writing on the wall and said, our best chance to win a World Series is probably past. It was probably the year we got knocked out in seven in the NLCS by the Dodgers. And I'm going to keep grinding this over and over and over again. And nothing is philosophically going to change in the front office because ownership's not going to change and spend more. I think he honestly believes that. I think he thinks they're going to be an underdog most years indefinitely. Whereas the Cubs, when they are good, will spend more. And having more resources will ultimately be better, right? So the, the money was probably above all everything. But it was also a great fit for him because it's still close to home. So I think this is, this is like a pretty bad sign for what the Brewers are. Like If you don't like the way the Brewers are run right now, they've had a lot of success in recent years, the best stretch in franchise history. He doesn't seem to think there's anything changing because if he believed things were going to get even better, he probably wouldn't have left. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. it's the money, it's the money, but it's also what the money represents, right? Another moneyball money quote. He, the, the the money that he's getting represents an investment, you know, that he wasn't going to get in Milwaukee. Right, and even if they're going to make him the highest paid manager, they weren't going to make him the highest paid manager by that much. Like that, the Cubs came in and just shattered all the other offers. So I don't know. Like I, I think if if you if you're a fan of a smaller market team and your team runs this way, sometimes this is as good as it gets. Multiple playoff appearances, a stretch where you, you get close, you get a taste of the postseason, and then the window slams shut because the big spenders in your division go back into a winning cycle, and you're just chasing them for a few years. And I think that's the harsh reality that, that Brewers fans are facing right now. And now the vultures are circling with all their Corbin Burns trade rumor columns. That's like the thing everyone's writing about right now. Also bad for the mental state of, of Brewers fans reporting from inside the house, of course. Right. Is this a fair interpretation? Like, this is just who they are, yeah. and, and he just, he was tired of it. He's like, this is, yes. this is okay, but this other opportunity is just better. Yes, it is. But also, if the Padres showed us anything, it's that you don't have to play like that. You don't have to be the word of the small market team. Did you guys, I mean, what are they doing with the $125 million they get in revenue sharing from the bigger teams? That's about where the payroll tops out these they days. Built, they built a, they built a, a pitching lab that cost them a bunch of money. Yeah, they got the pitching lab. I mean, it's unfortunate the way these small market, some of these small market teams are run because I think it does make it hard to be a fan. You're rooting for this tiny window, and then all your favorite players you know aren't going to stay, and then the cycle just keeps like rinsing and repeating, and front offices that are very smart are tasked with that whole 54% mindset that Jerry Depoto said because it's not worth it for them to push the chips all in and then and try to get to 59%. And, yeah, and try to get there when they can just get to the playoffs and roll the dice. They're more proud of the like, well, we went to the playoffs, kind of like the Brewers model. We don't go deep there, but we get there. So, you know, we're still an, an admirable small market team. We're still a smart, savvy small market team, but just it's just not a level, it's not a level playing field. It's not, it's not fun to root for those small market teams that are perennial underdogs that you know are going to break your heart because their favorite your favorite player is going to leave there. I just, I, I don't know how this is, you know, obviously today they announced that Oakland is officially unanimously approved. They're going to go to Las Vegas. And it's like, 
well, what's going to happen there? Like, you know, it's just like the perennial so revenue a, sharing team yeah. there. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to be, I think, a fan of some of these teams. Like if you're a Tampa Bay Rays fan, it's like, okay, they're a model franchise. Everyone wants to be like us. Well, why? Once you get to the playoffs, they lose, right? They've been to the World Series one time since 2008. I mean, I'd rather uh, win the win. We the, just had two wild thing. cards in the World Series, so there's some part of me that wants to push back and say, "Yeah, just get in entropy." You know, the wild the, 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 the Rangers spent money. Yeah, it's true. They tried Rangers to get better. Aren't that team, the Rangers are not that team at all. Even though they were a wild card in, in team in name only, maybe. Well, the D backs um, are, are smaller. Like they, the D backs are a little bit of that team, and I'm curious to but see they what also they do. Didn't, Win the World they Series, you know. They didn't and, win the World Series. And like, does but, anyone like they got so hot and so lucky that yes, they're gonna be good for a while, but how many more years unless they add some real pieces are they gonna be in the World Series? Right? Yeah. It's tough to get to the World Series. Everything has to go right. So I agree with you, Derek. I think that's definitely what Craig Council thought. And also, if you're looking at your legacy as a manager, you want to win a World Series. And the better chance is with Chicago. It's also sort of fascinating to me from a process standpoint of like, okay, so let's say the Brewers have decided that they've identified something in manager value that nobody else has, right? The, the Cubs have, right? And let's say the Brewers had a similar idea where they're like, oh, we also think that, that managers matter. The Brewers are going to have the resources to be able to be like, okay, we're going to get the 14th best manager for the 28th best price. You know, that's what it's like to be in a small market. And and because we care about managers, we're going to get the 14th best manager for the 28th price. The Cubs, on the other hand, can be like, we're going to get the number one manager in our model for the number one price, you know, and because we can do that. So there's a there's just a different but playing game. I'm 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 really surprised just because uh, I tend to think the managers aren't worth that much. Uh, just from the research I've seen, they did. They don't add that much value in terms of wins on the field. I tend to think it's the players that win games. Um, and so I'm a little surprised to see uh, someone set the market like this. And I just wonder what kind of metrics they're looking at and what kind of research they've done. Uh, because I also don't think that necessarily the brewers were great because of council. Um, so it's just a little weird to me, but I'm fascinated by it. Cause it does seem like someone said something different. Someone in the front office said managers are worth something. We should spend this. So I, that's, I think the movement is interesting that way too. The relative cost, right? It's 40 million for five years, I think was the final number that, that came out. It's 8 million a year. It's like you pay like a, a reliever. reliever 8 million a year. So if you think a manager's worth a win and a half or something, like or two wins based on that formula, then okay, then you're probably getting a, a good deal on your manager. And I think it's hard to quantify managerial impact. That's why manager of the year is silly. That's why I think council leaving... The, the, indicate, the, the implications of why he left are bigger than his actual departure, tactically speaking. That's where I think mm, like yeah. Pat Murphy managing the Brewers versus Craig Council managing the Brewers isn't the problem. It's how the roster is built. It's, yeah, the vultures are right. Corbin Burns probably is gone. And Brandon Woodruff is hurt again. Unfortunately, might not pitch at all in 2024. And they're going to try and bargain fill these holes again. And they've done it really well for a long time. But that becomes harder and harder to do. And it becomes more difficult to outpace the other teams in your division when they have young talent coming up and then they spend more than you do. And that, I think, accurately describes where the Cubs are at right now. And as we all know, the Cardinals usually don't stay on the mat for very long, right? You knock them down once, they're going to get back up and they're going to come back swinging. And the big changes are probably coming in St. Louis to that roster. So a lot to unpack. NL Central is only going to get tougher. 
And I just think it's a sign that council does not see more coming from Mark Atanasio as an owner, which should tell us all uh, a lot about what we should expect if you are in, uh, in that market and expecting the brewers to do something different. It's probably more of the same. We are going to go. On our way out the door, a quick reminder, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month at theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can find Britt on Twitter slash X at Britt underscore Giroli. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of The 3-0 Show. We are back with you in two weeks. Always got the green light here. Green light three.